church are currently going through the book of Jeremiah. And, and you know how Calvaries work. We, we take a, a book and we begin to just work our way through it, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And that's what we're currently doing in the book of Jeremiah. And uh, what I thought I'd do tonight is give you, um, because this is so much of what's going on in my heart and so much of what's going on in the heart of our church, the Lord kind of speaking to us out of this book, I thought rather than just kind of taking what we normally do, we take a passage and kind of work through the text, I thought tonight I would give you a little bit of a sampler plate. This is going to be called the Jeremiah Sampler Plate. I'm sure you've been to restaurants where, you know, they have those sampler plates. You're not sure which hors d'oeuvre to order. Well, I don't know if I want hot wings or potato skins. And give me the sampler plate, a little bit of everything. And that kind of gives you a a general idea of the restaurant's style and flavor. And so tonight, uh, that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just pull out a few things uh, out of the book of Jeremiah. And as you know, this is, uh, give me some grace tonight. That's not normally the way we minister uh, but I, just so much of this in my heart tonight, I wanted to share some of that with you guys. You know, Jeremiah uh, was called by God to be a prophet in a very difficult time in his nation. He lived in a nation that had begun to fall away from God. And he was called with a very difficult task of speaking a word of correction, a word of rebuke, a word of warning, to bring God's heart to bear on a nation that had forgotten their God. And the reason I felt Lord leading us into the book of Jeremiah was I couldn't help but sense some of the similarities of the day and culture in which we live. It seems that we're living in a time when God is being forgotten and the nation is gradually becoming more and more secular, more and more humanistic, and God is becoming less and less a part of a nation that was once, you know, founded under under at least godly principles. So Jeremiah, speaking to God's people at a time when they had forgotten their God. And so I do believe there are some relevant things for us in the book of Jeremiah. And uh, if you'll uh, look with me there in chapter 1, the first thing that I'd like you to see, and again, we're taking a, a sampler plate. The first two samples will speak about the condition of the nation, and then the second two samples will look more at the heart of the prophet himself. But uh, in Jeremiah 1, you'll see that in verse 10, uh, something of Jeremiah's ministry is outlined here. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. So Jeremiah is given a very intense ministry. He's going to be ministering not only to Judah, but to all of the nations. But much of his ministry is to root out and pull down, to destroy and throw down but also to build and plant. Jeremiah will also bring a word and message of hope. But it's an intense ministry that God gives him. And, uh, you know, I've got to be honest with you. It's been intense just working through it. We're about halfway through. Jeremiah is 52 chapters. So it's just like, Lord, here we go again. Another message of correction, another word of rebuke. And, and working our way through this, even as a church, it's been, it's been very uh, heavy. I guess is the right word, just the sense of, wow, God's heart being poured out to this nation that simply would not listen and not return to their God. And so you'll be getting just a sample of that tonight. But the first thing I'd like you to consider with me tonight here is an almond tree. Look with me in Jeremiah 1, verse 11 and 12. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, 
for I am ready to perform my word. Now, Jeremiah, we know from verse 1, Jeremiah was the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in a city called Anathoth. And, and interestingly, even today, Anathoth is known as a region in Israel that is a center for almond growing. And God, God asks Jeremiah, he's going to use a very natural sign to communicate a spiritual thought. Jeremiah, what do you see? Well, I see almond trees. And God says, very good, Jeremiah, because I am getting ready to perform my word. What's the relationship between an almond tree and God getting ready to perform his word? The almond tree is actually the first tree to blossom, coming out of winter to spring. In fact, it it blossoms as early as January. The almond tree is something of the the early warning signs that spring is coming. Seasons are changing. And so God uses this imagery as, you know, just as you see the almond tree and you know that the season is changing. Jeremiah, so is the season changing in this nation. I'm getting ready to perform my word. I've been patient. I've been long-suffering with this people. I've, been, I've sent other prophets as well to warn. But the nation has continued in its course, and I'm getting ready to bring judgment. The season is about to change. And he wants Jeremiah to see this, that Jeremiah, part of your ministry is going to be something of an early warning to your nation. You're going to bring a message that, that lets them know, listen, don't, this season will not last forever. And so today we must realize that, you know, no, not to misinterpret God's long-suffering and his patience and his kindness. And to misinterpret that as though God doesn't care about what's going on in the culture. God's not concerned about what's going on in our lives. No, God's long-suffering is really intended to lead men to repentance, right? The kindness of God is to lead you to repentance. God is patient. God's wanting as many to turn their hearts back. But God is ultimately going to judge and deal with sin. And so, Jeremiah, you're looking at an almond tree because this is an early sign of what is to come. I'm ready to perform my word. Interestingly enough, the word for the almond tree uh, is the word, the Hebrew word, shakade. And the word for ready is shakad. So it's a little bit of a play on words that God is using. In fact, the almond tree draws its name from the root word of ready, that is in the Hebrew. So the almond tree is something of the ready tree. It's the awakening tree. It's the watchful tree. You look to the almond tree to discern the seasons. And God is getting ready to perform his word in Judah. And God also speaks, I believe, to us today as well. Have you been watching any signs of the times in our day? Are you as a Christian sensing anything of a season beginning to change? I don't know about you, but I am. I'm seeing things even in the news, even in the headlines. It seems that even natural disasters are coming, you know, more often and they seem to be more severe, don't they? I'm not, I have no prophetic insight. I I, I do not, you know, somebody, I heard that the world is supposed to end on May 21st. Has anybody heard that? I had, uh, it was interesting, last night in our fellowship, a guy was coming in and he had this little junior high kid with his Bible and bringing him in. I thought, oh, he's in the junior high. He says, oh, yeah, no, he's, he's visiting. Somebody at school told him the world is going to end on May 21st and he wanted to come to church and find out. I said, well, you know, he, after, he hears our, you know, after he sits through a sermon, he may be ready for the world to end. I don't know, but uh, he's welcome to come. But I've heard this, you know, these, this date setting is out there. But, you know... I certainly don't have any kind of insight along those lines. But I do believe 
that we are seeing certain signs within the time, not only in the, wor- in the, in the world and in the earth itself, but even within the, the culture and what's going on in our nation. And I can't help but wonder, God, are the seasons changing? Are things, are, are, are things beginning to gather toward the end? We see unrest in the Middle East. And we see nations beginning to gather and come together just as prophetically they, it was told to us that they would, gathering against Israel. Interesting that these things are beginning to line up. You know, Jesus said, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch, branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Jesus, speaking of end time events, said, look, you're going to see signs. You're going to know that the season is changing. The end is close. We also see Paul writing to Timothy, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And he talks about those times. He says men are going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of money. They're going to be boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Doesn't some of that sound a little bit of what we see in our own culture? This unloving, unthankful, haters, brutal, despisers of good. We're seeing this type of thing even in our day. These are signs, uh, Paul told the Thessalonians, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, we are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober. So the word of God, even in the New Testament, gives a sense of watch for the signs. And that you are, you're not to be caught unaware. You're not to be like those asleep in the dark or drunk at night. You're to be awake, alert. You're to be sober. And I believe that's part of what Jeremiah's ministry is about. This is part of what God is trying to stir in Jeremiah. And he uses this image of an almond tree to let him know, Jeremiah... The signs are here and the season is changing. And we as Christians are to be called, we're to be alert. Guys, this is not a time to be playing games with God. This is not a time to be going through the motions, holding a form of godliness but denying the power, not really allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you and the power of God to really lay hold of your life. This is not the time to just kind of be kind of going through a Christian outward show. This is a time to be alert and sober and to be watchful. I believe that God has called us as the church to be something of of his mouthpiece. Jeremiah was the mouthpiece to his generation. We as the church and the people of God, we are to, to share these truths that we know with our generation. The baton has been passed to us. We have been called in these last days to be light and salt to our generation. And I believe that the signs are evident, even as they were in Jeremiah's day. Look with me also in Jeremiah 2. The second little sampling that I'd like you to see with me tonight is in Jeremiah 2, verses 4 through 8. And, and my 
My little bullet point here is called, Where is the Lord? Where is the Lord? Look at Jeremiah 2, verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, have become idolaters? Neither did they say, Where is the Lord? Who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. I brought you into a beautiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. We see something here of God's own heart being spoken through the prophet. I've always been impressed with that verse, verse 5. What injustice have your fathers found in me? You hear something of the heart of God crying out to his people. You know, when did I wrong you? What did you find lacking in me? Where, when did I mistreat you? Have I ever done you wrong? The Lord speaks to his people. What injustice that you would run from me, that you would flee, that you would forget me. What, what is it that you found lacking in me and my love for you and my provision over your life? What caused you to turn your back on me? And he says, you know, in all of this, no one says, where is the Lord? They've moved away from the Lord, and yet it seems that no one has even noticed or even misses the Lord. They were content to go their own way without him. Their hearts have become enamored with the world. It says that they, they've, they've gone far from me. They've followed idols. They've become idolaters. He says, you know, no one is asking, where's the Lord who brought us out of the land of Egypt? Where's the Lord who did these great works for us? Where's the God of our salvation? No one's asking. They're not even, they're, they don't even, God is gone. They've left God and they don't even realize it. There's not even the question in their heart. Hey, where's the Lord? Where's the Lord in all of this? Where's the Lord in my life? Where's the Lord in our church? Where's the Lord in our nation? No one's even thinking about the Lord. They've completely abandoned him and they don't even recognize that they are far from him. He says, you know, I brought you into a beautiful country. You've lost that sense of what God has done for you, O nation of Israel. You've lost that, that, that recollection of Egypt and how God delivered and brought you out and brought you into a promised land and blessed you. And here's the, here's the truth. When, when we begin to devalue our salvation, when what God has done for us in saving us loses its value, then the God who saved us also loses his value. And this is what's going on in the heart of, of Israel. They're, they're not thinking about what God has saved them from. Their, their hearts are now attracted to the things of the world, and they're caught up in the cultures around them and beginning to worship and practice those idolatrous things. And when salvation loses its value, so does the God who brings it. We must never lose our, our heart for, for the Lord. We must never lose our appreciation for our salvation. Even the prophets and the priests, you notice, even those that were, that were supposed to, to, to bring God's word back to the nation, those that were to intercede for the people, even they did not ask, where's the Lord? 
I think it's a, it's a question that we should be asking ourselves on a regular basis. Where is the Lord? I don't ever want to get so busy or so distracted or so caught up that, all, that, that I'm not asking, yeah, but where's the Lord? Am I, you know, where is he and where am I? Are we in step? Am I in step with him? Am I close to the Lord? You know, where, where's the, where's the, where are the Jacobs who, who wrestle with the Lord and won't let go? Where are the Moses who say, you know what, if you don't go with us, Lord, I don't want to go. Where's the Davids who say, you know, I'd rather spend one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand somewhere else. These were men who regularly asked, where's the Lord? And where he is is where I want to be. I want to have my heart close to him. And this is sometimes it happens very gradually. And, and I think this is what happened in the nation of, of Judah. It wasn't like all of a sudden one morning they woke up and said, hey, let's depart from the Lord. It was a gradual beginning to kind of meld with the culture, blend with the, with the people around them. And before they knew it, they were, they were far from God and no one thought to say, where's the Lord? You should be asking yourself, where's the Lord? What are you involved in tonight? What are, you, you know, what, what, are, what are your priorities? What are your pursuits? And ask yourself, yeah, but where's the Lord? Is he in the mix? Is he part of my passion? Is he part of what God, a uh, part of what I'm after in my life? Is the Lord with you? Is the Lord guiding you? Is the Lord directing you? Where's the Lord in our generation? Where's the Lord in our churches, in our homes, in our hearts? You know, a lot of churches are asking the question, you know, where are all the people? In Monrovia, we have a lot of old church buildings, churches that were built 100 years ago. In fact, we used to meet in a building that was over 100 years old. And a lot of the congregations are, are, are gone. The buildings are empty. They're, they're in disrepair. They're, they're, you know, somehow they, they didn't connect with the next generation. And and this isn't just in Monrovia. This is going across the nation. A lot of churches wondering, where are the people? The question should not be, where are the people? <laughs> the question needs to be, where's the Lord? It's not, we're not trying to put seats in chairs. We're trying to put the Spirit of God into people's hearts. Where's the Lord? We need God in our midst. We need the Lord in our homes, in our families, in our churches. And we need God to work in our lives as well. Has God moved? God changed his address? No. Who's doing the moving? The heart of God's people have moved away from the Lord. Well, let's move on tonight. I want to look at the third little sampler for you. You're going to, oh gosh, where am I going to find this? I forgot to even write it down. Um, well, let me look for it. It's going to be somewhere in uh, in the, I think, some of you may be able to help me find this reference. Uh, it's when Jeremiah wants to hold God's word in his heart, but it was shut up like fire in his bones and he couldn't contain it. Does anybody know about it? Remember where that chapter is? Sorry. Embarrassing. I didn't write my notes down. You guys are going to be so thankful to get Pastor Manny back here.
can see it quickly, I'll just quote it as best I can from memory. Jeremiah chapter 20. Sorry about that. Jeremiah chapter 20. And my my third sampler tonight is entitled Fire in the Bones. Fire in the Bones. Look with me, verses 7 through 10. O Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. And then I said, I will not make mention of his name. I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But the word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. For I heard many mocking, fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, Perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. Jeremiah, as I mentioned at the beginning, he had a difficult ministry. He was called to speak a word of warning and correction to a people who did not want to hear it. This was a controversial and a confrontational type of word. And and the people of of Judah's day, they, they weren't interested in it. Tell us what we want to hear. Tell us something that will tickle our ears. Tell us something that's smooth. Don't, don't give us this harsh, you know, judgments coming, fear on every side. And Jeremiah said, you know, I got so tired of preaching that message, I decided I would just quit. Jeremiah thought he'd just resign. Every time I open my mouth, I got to tell these people that God's getting ready to judge them and they're mocking me. They're, they, they, you, know, you know, we've heard that before, Jeremiah. I get lost. It's not the news we're interested in. And Jeremiah decided that he would simply stop. But he says when he, had, when he tried to stop, when he tried to resign, that the word of God that was on the inside of him became like fire shut up in his bones. He could not stop but declare what God had given to him through his word. And I have to say that even today, the gospel, although we know the gospel to be good news, the gospel is becoming in our culture more and more confrontational, the true gospel. The gospel that says you're a sinner and you need to be forgiven through a Savior, Jesus Christ. They like the idea of a say, you know, someone forgiving and loving them, but they don't like the idea of calling them a sinner. And it's confrontational. You know, I was at a, I was at a uh, harvest meeting here down at Dodger Stadium. I don't know if you've probably been aware that uh, the Harvest Crusade is going to come it's been in Anaheim for many years at the Anaheim Stadium. They're going to do one this September in Dodger Stadium. And so they invited some pastors down to kind of announce the event and begin to pray for the event. And Pastor Greg Laurie was there, and he, he was sharing some of his heart, to, you know, to, that God had led him to, to come and preach the gospel in, uh, in Dodger Stadium. And talking to a room full of pastors, a couple hundred pastors in there, and these are not all Calvary guys. These are pastors from all different denominations, all different you know, types of churches out of the, the greater Los Angeles area. And so he said, you know, listen, guys, here's, here's what we have to do. We have to, I'm going to preach the gospel. Here's, here's what you can expect if you bring people to this crusade. I'm going to preach the gospel. And what that means is I have to tell them that they're sinners. 
I have to tell them that there's something wrong in their life. Otherwise, why did Christ die on a cross for them? He said, you know, in our efforts to cross over, I'm afraid that we have failed to bring the cross over. So much effort being made to try and be attractive to the world and to try to be appealing and winsome in our gospel presentation. And so much so that we have forgotten to bring the cross to the equation. You're a sinner. And you need to be saved. And that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. It's wonderful news. But for the person that's unwilling to repent and unwilling to acknowledge him or herself as a sinner, there is no good news for you. And this is where Jeremiah is. Look, God will forgive. God will restore. And you'll see this throughout his, his, his ministry. Offering a word of hope. If you'll repent, God will relent of the judgment that he's sending. But if you imagine that you can just continue to do these things and that God will never deal with you, that's, I have no message but other than God is going to deal with you. And so Jeremiah is a confrontational and a difficult message, and it didn't go over well. And you know what? It's not going over that well today either. People aren't interested in you telling them that their lifestyle is an abomination unto God. Who are you to judge me, Mr. Self-righteous Christian, who are you? Who gave? Who made you that gave you all the answers? Right? You ever hear some of that? And so we have to learn to speak God's word in love, but it also has to be the word of God. And Jeremiah said, "You know, I got tired of this. I, I just quit. I just decided I'd stop." And I don't know. Maybe some of you are tempted that that way too. You know, every time I try to tell somebody they're a sinner and need a savior, all they do is get mad at me and tell me to be quiet. Jeremiah tried to be quiet, and it said that the word of God was in him. It burned like fire in his bones. And this is, I think, something that we could all use, is a little fire in our bones. A little bit of God, that passion, that, that truth, that word of God churning and burning in our hearts. That God's word would be so compelling in our hearts that we, we wouldn't be able to contain it. That what God had done has done for us and what God has communicated to us and as we put his word into our hearts that we, we can't just sit by and watch our, our generation go on without some sense of sharing truth with them and that it would come, become something of a fire, a fire in our bones that we, would, that we must speak. You know, Jesus, in sending out his disciples, in Luke 24, you know, part of the Great Commission. Here's Luke's version of it, Luke 24:46. Thus it is written, and thus it was, listen, necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Get out there and tell them why Christ died. Why was it necessary for the Christ to suffer and die? Because of the wretchedness of men. Because of the sinful conditions of hearts. Because God had to offer a sacrifice to atone and redeem you from your sinful self. That is the message of the cross. And that repentance, a change of heart. Not come and just be as you are. You come as you are, but you come to change who you are. You come to, to God, remake me. God, start over in my heart and life. My personal experience in ministering to people in the gospel is that many will put up that 
immediate defensive front. And sometimes you have to be patient. Sometimes you have to keep at it. Sometimes you have to you know, continue to share these things in a loving way. But what I have discovered is that in most cases, not all, but in most cases, just below the surface of this veneer, just below the pretense of who are you to judge me, is a heart that is hurting, a heart that feels deep guilt and shame and pain. And if you can get through the defense mechanisms and get to the heart, you will find someone who is longing to be forgiven, someone that wants to be freed from the guilt and shame that they are condemned under. And I believe this is part of what the gospel must do. It must awaken those hearts and bring them to an understanding. And it's like fire in the bone for Jeremiah. He tried to quit. The Apostle Paul, he said it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I believe that all of us need to ask the Lord to put some fire in our bones. What was that fire? It was the Word of God. The Word of God. Lord, as as I read, as I study, Lord, put it in my heart and make it like fire in my bones. That it would just begin to pour out of me, not only in my life and my conduct, but in in the words that I'm able to share. Jeremiah could not resign from sharing what God had called him to do. Finally tonight, I'd like you to look with me in Jeremiah 23. Thankfully, I have the reference for this one. And my last little sampler for you tonight. I'm entitling an oracle from the Lord, an oracle from the Lord. The word oracle in the Hebrew is the word Massah. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing all these words correctly, but get the general idea. And the word literally means burden. And there's some insight in that understanding of the word. Sometimes we think, oh, Jeremiah, he, he had an oracle from the Lord. God put an oracle, you know, a word from, from the Lord. But the word itself, oracle, means burden. It's as though God takes something of his heart and he loads it into the heart of his minister, his prophet. And it becomes something of a burden. Now, this is, not a, this is not a bad burden. This is actually a, a godly burden. Have you ever heard that kind of language? I just feel burdened of the Lord. I, I felt compelled of God. That's part of what's going on here. It, it's similar to what we talked about, that fire in the bones, that word of God churning in your heart. But this is, this is something I think adds a little different dynamic to it also. Not just his words, but something of his heart, something of his passion. Don't you know God is passionate for the lost? Don't you know that God that God has something on his heart tonight. And he is so passionate, it's demonstrated for us through Christ, right? The passion of Christ. God has stated very clearly, listen, I am serious about redemption. I am committed to saving men. It is my chief concern. It is my chief passion. It is my burden to save and redeem men from their sins. And so this is something of the oracle of God. As God puts his heart in you, it begins to to weigh in. Now, none of us could bear up under the full weight of God's passion. But I believe that God gives a measure 
that God gives something into the heart of those that are close to him, those that are drawing near to him, that something of his heart is, is, is put into the very heart of those that know him. Look with me. Um, first, uh, look ahead there at verse 34. And I'm in Jeremiah 23. Just look at verse 34. This, is, this particular chapter is kind of rebuking the false prophets and the false priests, those that were claiming to have an oracle and a word from the Lord. Look verse 34. And as for the prophet and the priest and the people who say the oracle of the Lord, I will even punish that man and his house. We don't have time to read the whole chapter, but you understand that he's, he's saying, look, in Jeremiah's day there were men who were claiming, oh, I have a word from God. Oh, thus saith the Lord, an oracle from God. And they were sharing their own dream, their own vision. They were telling the people what they wanted to hear. They were telling the people the dreams of their own hearts. Not really bringing God's word and God's truth. And God is, is getting tired of it. And he says, listen, tell those guys to be quiet. Tell those guys that I'm going to punish them. They keep walking around talking for me as if I've given them something to say. And it's not anything of what's on my heart. But now let's look at Jeremiah's heart, who was a man who really was burdened with the oracle of the Lord. Look at verse 9. This is Jeremiah talking about his own burden during this time. My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers For because of a curse, the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil, and their might is not right. Jeremiah's heart was broken. Jeremiah's heart was burdened because of what he saw going on in his nation. Because of the prophets, he says. Because of so many that are misrepresenting the Lord. So many that are claiming to speak for God and are misleading the people. Does that sound like anything that we see even in our culture and day? This burden, Jeremiah, and because of the Lord and his holy words. You see, Jeremiah was a man that had been divinely warned. Jeremiah knew what was coming. And because he knew what was coming and because he knew of the severity of it, he was burdened to see people ignoring the truth and falling for the false, for the false words of peace and don't worry, you're going to be blessed. God's going to shower you with blessing. Never worry, never mind. Just, just you know, enjoy. And this false kind of prophecy that was being pronounced, in, and Jeremiah knowing the truth of what's coming. Can you imagine what, what he was wrestling with? Trying desperately to warn a people of God's impending judgment to a people who had become numb to truth and desensitized to the truth and completely overwhelmed by the culture and the false prophets of the day. Misburdened Jeremiah to the point where you, you hear it. You hear what he says. I, I mean, I was like a drunken man. I was just overwhelmed with this sense. You know, I'll close with just a, a couple of thoughts here tonight. The book of Hebrews tells us, and you don't need to turn, I'll just reference it for you. It tells us of of the faith of a man named Noah. And you know the story. And it says that Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, was moved with godly fear. 
And as a result, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. He believed God's warnings, and he acted accordingly. He he was moved with godly fear. He was divinely warned, and it moved him. It, It stirred his heart. And this, to me, seems to be sadly lacking today in the hearts of many. There seems to be no real sense of divine warning. You know, as you put all of this kind of together tonight, just this little sampler, and, and you know, forgive me, there's no way I can, can do real justice to some of this text, but I think you're getting a sense of what Jeremiah is about. And I want to leave that with you tonight. I don't want to send you out on a downer or kind of a bummer, but I want you to be sober and I want you to be alert. I want you to be sensitive to the culture in which you live and the light and salt that God has entrusted you to bring. Listen, nobody else has any answers. There's nothing else that can save men outside these walls except the truth of Jesus Christ. No one, there's no other solution. There's no government. There's no, there's no program. There's no economy. There's, there's nothing that can save and, and redeem men but the truth of Jesus Christ. And who has been entrusted with this message? The church of Jesus Christ. And Jeremiah was so moved by this. Noah was a man that was moved by these things. And it says that, you know, and Peter, Noah, of course, saved his own household, but Peter tells us that Noah was also a preacher of righteousness. So apparently Noah was not just a man who responded for his own household, but he preached this warning to his generation. They didn't receive it. But he was faithful to bring it. And that's, I think, what's been entrusted to us. Is that not only are we supposed to be kind of mindful of our household and acting accordingly, but we've been divinely warned. Don't you know that Christ is going to return? Don't you know that that there are judgments awaiting those that are not right for Christ? That are not right with Christ? And so we have this. We've been divinely warned. That's why Paul said to the Thessalonians, listen, you're not in the dark. On these things, God's been clear to tell you what his future plan is. And yet sometimes we get so caught up in the here and the now and what I need God to do for me today and my, my you know, my, my circumstance. I'm not minimizing those things. I know you struggle. I do, too. There are things that overwhelm from day to day. But I don't want to get so caught up in the detail that I that I forget that, you know what, God's got a bigger plan. There's a kingdom at work here. And I have a responsibility to be to be mindful of these things, to be alert, to be sober. That's what I want. I want what I want in my own heart. That's what I want in the heart of my church. I want us to redeem the time. I want us to be watchful and alert. I don't want to be asleep. I don't want to just kind of, you know, oh, we got a cool thing going. Let's just enjoy it, you know. I mean, we do have a, you know, we are blessed. I'll tell you, being part of the Calvary Chapel family is a great blessing. And you're blessed in that as well. But God wants to save. And, and, and we're, you know, the, the, the blossoms are on the, the almond tree. And I believe that the Lord is, is stirring something in the heart of his church. Not to walk out of here tonight with some heavy burden. The truth is, you and I can't do anything. Didn't Jesus say that? Apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> so what's the answer? How do we respond to something like this? Just this, okay, Pastor, I'm hearing you. I, I need to be kind of mindful of my, of my time and this season, and, and, and I want to be faithful. I want to be fruitful. Well, I think the simplest thing to do is to draw close to the Lord. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can't do anything apart from me, but if you will abide in me, 
you will bear fruit. So I think it's really a call to be serious in our own personal relationship with the Lord. That's where these things begin. This This is where Jeremiah's strength came from. It came from that relationship that he had with God. Where'd that fire in his bones come from? The Word of God. Because he was a praying man. He was an interceding man. He was in connection with God, and God was speaking to him. And that's what we need. We need, the, we need our relationship with the Lord to be what God has called it to be because it's not just for you, it's for through you. Right? And so God is calling us as a people to draw near to him. I think he's calling us as churches to be uh, watchful, sober, and alert. That's kind of what's going on, on with us on the book of Jeremiah. I wanted to give you guys a little touch of that and uh, with that I'd like to close in a word of prayer Lord uh, there's really there's really nothing that that we can do Father in and of ourselves there's nothing that we can do to to save anybody. There's nothing that we can do to really help anybody. That, that strength is not in us, Lord. We don't have that power. You are the one that saves. You are the one that draws the hearts of men. And yet, God, in your sovereign plan, you have determined that you would use men, that you would use us, that we would become instruments, vessels of your mercy, that we would become channels of blessing, that we would become carriers of this gospel, and that we would be faithful with that which has been entrusted to us. And Lord, we are just really just stewards of these things, but it's required of stewards to be faithful. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight. Speak to our hearts as a church. Speak to our hearts as individuals, Lord. We need to be mindful of the times. We need to be ever asking our own hearts, where's the Lord? Where are you, Lord? What are you saying? What are you desiring? What are you putting your finger on? What are you drawing me to? We need to have your word in our hearts in abundance like fire in the bones. And Lord, I'm asking you to impart something of your heart to us. As Jeremiah carried this oracle, this burden, this, this sense of God's passion within himself. I pray that we would, we would be sensitive to your heart tonight, Lord. And that the things that are, that are on your mind would be on my mind. The things that you're concerned about, I would be concerned about. Lord, that it would not be just about me always trying to recruit you to my agenda. But that I would come and say, Lord, here am I. What's your agenda? What's on your heart tonight, God? What are, the, what are the good works that you have prepared for me before the foundation of the world? Help me to discover those. I want to be like the Apostle Paul, Lord, the, the one that was pressing to lay hold of that for which you laid hold of him. And Lord, like the Apostle Paul, I think we could all acknowledge tonight we have not arrived yet. We are somewhere in that journey, somewhere in that process. And I, I simply pray, God, that you would encourage our hearts to, to continue and that you would provide the grace and that your spirit would, would work in our lives, God. Help us to become vessels of honor, useful to the master. 
Work in our hearts, work in our church, God. Work in our families, work in our homes, Lord. Oh, we need you, Lord. We're desperate for you. And I don't know, if you'll just keep your heads bowed with me just for one more moment. I don't know your custom here for closing the service, but you'll just bear with me. I I typically try to give an opportunity for people to respond to the Lord. And I want to at least give that same opportunity here tonight. If you're here tonight and, and maybe you don't know the Lord, you don't have a personal relationship with him. And God has spoken to you tonight. I know this is something of a, of a, of a heavy, you know, sampler. Uh, but, you know, it's what Jeremiah is about. And I wanted to bring the essence of it to you. And maybe you're here tonight and, and you don't have a relationship with him, but God has spoken to you and you realize, you know what? I need to get my heart right. I need forgiveness. I need to come into a relationship with the Lord. I'd love to pray for you tonight and, and just invite Jesus into your life. Or maybe you're here tonight and, and you know the Lord, but you're not walking with him. Maybe you're like that nation of Judah, a kind of gradual, slowly, you've moved away and all of a sudden you're far away from the Lord and it's been a long time since you've asked the question, where's the Lord in my life? And God has spoken to your heart tonight and he wants you to return and you're, you're wanting to come back and rededicate your life to him. You're wanting to say, Lord, where are you? I want you in my heart and fresh and, 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 and alive again. You want to rededicate your life to him. I'd love to pray for you as well. So I'm not going to have an altar call or anything. I'm not going to you know, call you to stand out, but I, I do want to pray for you. Our heads are bowed. If you're here tonight and you need to come to the Lord for the first time or you need to come and rededicate your life to the Lord and recommit yourself to him, I'd love to pray for you. Would you simply raise your hand where you're seated and I'll say a prayer for you. Anybody here tonight? God bless you, sir, in the front. God bless you, sir, in the back as well. God bless you there in the middle, left. Anyone else here tonight? Just wait one more, one more moment here. Anyone else? You need to. I'm going to pray for those that have responded. Anybody else? God bless you, sir. Bless you, ma'am, as well. God bless you. I see that hand also. Anyone else, just before I pray? 